Hello, and welcome to the 2022's June Fellows Choice Podcast, where we will outline the highlights of the current issue of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. I'm Catherine Hicks-Courant from the University of Pennsylvania. And I'm Christina Ewens from Royal Surrey NHS Foundation Trust in Guildford in the United Kingdom. So in this podcast, we're going to go through some of the uh, highlights of the current issue and talk about some of our favorite articles. Uh, we will start today with the lead article of the issue. This is actually my study from the University of Pennsylvania, Intensity of End-of-Life Care for Gynecologic Cancer Patients by Primary Oncologist Specialty. And their objectives of the study were to examine the association of primary oncologist specialty, which we, by which we meant GYN oncologists versus medical oncologists, uh, with intensity of care and Medicare spending at the end of life among GYN cancer patients. We used the SEER Medicare database, had almost, or had 12,189 patients who died of a gynecologic cancer. And we found that about two thirds had a medical primary oncologist and only one third had a GYN primary oncologist. 54% of patients with a gynecologic oncologist experienced high intensity end of life care compared to 57% of patients with a medical oncologist. Gynecologic oncologist patients were more likely to undergo invasive procedures and had higher medical spending at the end of life. The study shows that both specialties engage in overall high levels of intense end-of-life care with differences by specialty in aspects of aggressive care and spending at the end of life. So in a paper by Maritao from Sun Yat-sen University in China, they presented prognostic normograms to predict overall survival and cause of death in vulval squamous cell carcinoma. The authors aimed to establish a prognostic normogram for the disease. With the SEER database again, data was collected and randomly divided into a training data set and testing data set. Univariable and multivariable Cox regression were used to identify risk factors. Overall survival and cancer-specific death normograms were constructed and validated. Receiver operating characteristics and calibrations were used to verify the predictive value and clinical applicability of the models. Results showed that age more than 60 or equal to 60 years and grade three stages three and four, T and M stages T2, T3, N1 and M1 had a negative effect on overall survival. Surgery and chemotherapy may improve overall survival. The study also showed the normograms established had an excellent predictive ability for overall survival and cancer-specific death, with both area under the cove both greater than 0.8. Wagner et al. from Berlin, Germany, presented genotype-specific high-risk human papillomavirus infections and risk factors for cervical dysplasia in women with human immunodeficiency virus in Germany, results from a single-center cross-sectional study. In this study, women with living with HIV um, who have an increased risk of HPV infection and cervical cancer. So the goal of the study was to characterize the risk profile for cervical dysplasia in these women. Patients with HIV presenting at a single institution were included. 95.2% received antiretroviral therapy and also were previously screened for cervical cancer. High-risk HPV prevalence was 44%. HPV-16 was the most common genotype at 23%. The study shows that antiretroviral therapy and adherence to cervical cancer screening were high. 
Women living with HIV in Germany are often pre-screened for cervical cancer and therefore have a, high, have a different risk profile for cervical dysplasia than in low-income or medium-income countries. Gabriella Mattia et al. from Gemelli in Italy presents stereotactic body radiotherapy in oligometastatic cervical cancer, a MITO-RT2 RAD study, a collaboration of MITO, IRO, AIRO, GYN, and the MANGO groups. The objective was to analyze the efficacy and safety of stereotactic body radiotherapy in patients with oligometastatic persistent recurrent cervical cancer. In this retrospective multi-center study, 83 patients bearing 125 lesions, mostly lymph node mets in 55% were treated with stereotactic radiotherapy. Median total dose was 35 gray. Objective response rate was 82% and clinical benefit rate was 94%. Patients achieving complete response on per lesion basis had a two-year local control rate of 89% versus 22% and progression-free survival 43% versus 8%. Overall survival 69% versus 44%. Acute toxicity rate was 18%. Late toxicity rate was 5%. The authors concluded the low toxicity profile and high efficacy warrants wider use of stereotactic body radiotherapy in this setting. Sophie Shannon from Belgium contributed importance of pathological review of gestational trophoblastic disease, results of the Belgian gestational trophoblastic diseases registry. The objective of this paper was to evaluate the value of centralized pathology review for diagnosis and management of gestational trophoblastic disease. This was a prospective multi-center study based on the Belgian gestational trophoblastic diseases registry. It included 867 eligible files that were reviewed by expert pathologists at high volume nationally recognized academic centers and compared them to review by non-experts. The rate of discordance was 35% with 95% of confirmation for complete moles and 61% confirmation for partial moles. Ancillary techniques were used more frequently by both groups than in prior reports. The diagnosis of neoplasia was altered in 42% of cases, leading to down or upstaging in 98% of cases. The authors conclude the high frequency of modified diagnoses would impact clinical management in nearly all patients. In their prospective non-interventional study called BELOVA BGOG of 16, Begote et al. evaluated the safety of frontline bevacizumab treatment in elderly patients with FIGO stage 4 ovarian cancer. This study was performed by the Belgian and the Luxembourg Gynecological Oncology Group. The multi-center study included patients aged 70 years and older treated for stage 4 ovarian cancer and for whom it was decided to administer frontline bevacizumab with carboplatin and paxlitaxel chemotherapy between April 2015 to July 2019. These patients were followed up from the start of the bevacizumab treatment until progression or death and underwent a comprehensive geriatric assessment at baseline and during treatment. Their results showed that the most frequently reported adverse events were hypertension occurring in 55%, epistaxis in 32% and proteinuria in 21%. Other adverse events were infrequent and in line with rates found in the literature. All grade fistula 3%, gastrointestinal perforation 3%, wound healing complications 1%, deep venous thrombosis 4%, bleeding of 37%, or posterior reversible encephalopathy of 1%. The Kaplan Meier estimate of progression free survival was 14.5 months. 
the results of the comprehensive geriatric assessments during treatment indicated a slight improvement in the geriatric eight health status screening tool score for general health status and the multi-nutritional assessment score for nutritional status. The median change from baseline score was close to zero for the instruments measuring independence, the activity of daily living and instrumental activities of daily living and the mobility tiredness test measured self-perceived fatigue. In conclusion, the results of the current study confirmed the safety and tolerability of bevacizumab in the frontline treatment of advanced ovarian cancer in patients aged 70 years and older. In their review, Tuhami et al. performed an evidence-based review of the optimal intrapartum management of patients with placenta accreta for the gynecologic oncologist. They highlighted the role of the gynecologic oncologist in the multidisciplinary management of patients with placenta accreta. They also described the five key steps of a cesarean hysterectomy for placenta accreta spectrum disorders and the conservative management techniques, indications, and complications. They also detailed the urologic complications and the different techniques to lower blood loss, including percutaneous vessel balloon placement, pharmacological measures such as IVTXA, blood cell salvage techniques, and meticulous surgical dissection, concluding that compared to the call-if-needed approach, the early presence of a pelvic surgeon at delivery significantly lowers the blood loss and the need for transfusion. Most importantly, they emphasize the role of the gynecologic oncologist in developing clinical protocols and guidelines and establishing standards of care in all cases of suspected placenta accreta spectrum. In a paper by Leotal from the Australia New Zealand Gynecological Oncology Group, they presented symptom burden and quality of life of chemotherapy for recurrent ovarian cancer, the gynecological cancer intergroup symptom benefit study. This was a prospective observational cohort study on the impact of palliative chemotherapy on symptoms and health-related quality of life. In the study, participants completed the measure of ovarian cancer symptoms and treatment, most, and the EORTC quality of life questionnaire, QLQC30 at baseline, and then every three to four weeks until progression. The objective of this study was to evaluate the effects of chemotherapy on symptoms, and health-related quality of life in women having chemotherapy for platinum-resistant refractory recurrent ovarian cancer and those with potentially platinum-sensitive disease with more than or equal to three lines of chemotherapy. Ultimately, the authors wishes to inform discussions with patients and their family about the possible benefits and the harms of palliative chemotherapy in recurrent ovarian cancer. cancer. Symptom burden at baseline was high, with over 50% reporting moderate to severe abdominal symptoms. Of those symptomatic at baseline, less than 40% reported an improvement in symptoms with chemotherapy. Overall, only approximately 15% of participants reported an improvement in aspects of health-related quality of life with chemotherapy. Only a relatively small proportion of patients experienced improvements in their symptoms and quality of life as regards to this palliative chemotherapy. The authors concluded that a holistic approach to patient management and supportive care, including early and routine integration of palliative care, psycho-oncology and allied health services to address physical, psychological, social and existential concerns. Patients' preferences should be included in treatment decision-making process and greater attention is needed to address the side effects of chemotherapy. Chitino et al. out of Italy with the Mito Mango groups present their clinical trial Alapra beyond progression compared with platinum chemotherapy after secondary cytoreductive surgery in patients with recurrent ovarian cancer. 
The study aims to determine the efficacy of olaparib compared with standard platinum-based chemotherapy after secondary cytoreductive surgery in patients with recurrent ovarian cancer who progress during or after PARP inhibitor maintenance. The authors hypothesized that secondary cytoreductive surgery removes PARP inhibitor-resistant clones and therefore helps overcome the developed resistance to PARP inhibitors, prolonging PARP's therapeutic effect if a patient is retreated with the PARP inhibitor. This is a phase three randomized open-label multi-center trial. Patients must have a high-grade serous or endometrioid ovarian cancer, progress during or after first-line PARP inhibitor maintenance therapy, and undergo secondary cytoreductive surgery. The dual primary endpoints include progression-free survival and progression-free survival 2, which is the time from randomization to the second progression or death. They anticipate approximately 200 patients will be enrolled. Enrollment will be completed in 2024 and results presented in 2026. Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts in the United States presents patient-reported outcomes and chemotherapy-related cognitive impairment in gynecologic malignancy. This was a prospective patient-reported outcome study of women with endometrial or ovarian cancer receiving chemotherapy between January 2018 to September 2019. The objective of this study was to understand patient-reported experiences of the phenomenon of chemobrain. This study used EORTC quality of life questionnaire and looked at a total of 50 patients, 22 with ovarian cancer and 28 with endometrial cancer. No definitive evidence of memory loss or cognitive dysfunction related to the time course of their chemotherapy in patients with gynecological malignancy was found. Emotional symptoms, however, were increased before chemotherapy and diminished after chemotherapy was completed. They noted that a high prevalence of mood disorders were present in cancer patients, and the authors concluded that it's possible that the phenomenon of chemotherapy-related cognitive impairment may actually be related to psychological distress experienced by patients undergoing treatment for malignancy and may not actually be related to chemotherapy administration in and of itself. So I think the thing that I've really taken away from this month's articles, or at least the the article that re really resonated with me was the importance of fully understanding the risks and benefits of palliative chemotherapy. Um, clearly, if you're providing palliative chemotherapy for symptom control, it's really important that the patients are experiencing an improvement in their symptoms and not getting more problems caused by the chemotherapy with um, no benefits in overall survival. What are your thoughts on this, Catherine? Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's a really interesting point and I'm really excited to see, see it supported in the literature more and more. Um, it's always a discussion that we have with patients when we're thinking about chemo at the end of life, but it's so hard to kind of predict both how they'll respond and how they'll feel on it. But, you know, we always want to be doing the right thing by our patients and, um, and it's really great to have a little more guidance or support for making our decisions. And it really fits in with the findings of your study, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, we, we, I was a little surprised in our study at how, how much sort of treatment and intervention patients were getting at the end of life. Um, so it's definitely an area that, that we, can be in, we can really be focusing on to improve the care for our patients. Um, you know, palliative chemotherapy is just one tool that we have, and I think it is important to question whether it's it's a good tool 
um, which mm -hmm. is not, of course, always the case. Thank you so much, Christina. I love the focus on quality of life in these studies. I really do. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Please do join us for next month's Fellow Choice podcast. Goodbye. <laughs>